Welcome to 1000 Conversations, a monthly podcast exploring community, culture, race, identity, and a place to build a more inclusive central Minnesota, powered by Centricare. Now here's your host, Anthony Gardner. Hello and welcome to our listeners. Uh, we appreciate you joining us for 1000 Conversations, the first in a series of podcasts that will focus on the topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, and race from the viewpoint of diverse people who call Central, Southwest, and West Central Minnesota home. My name is Anthony Gardner, and I'll be your host for this, what I'll call the Maiden Voyage podcast for the 1000 Conversations series. I am Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for Centricare, which is a St. Cloud, Minnesota-based health system serving people from Redwood Falls and Wilmer to Baxter and from Long Prairie to Monticello. Uh, I'm truly honored and excited to be joined by two special guests today who have really committed their life work to community partnerships that lift up individuals and entire communities, really, that have experienced the effects of inequity in our society. We'll be speaking with Dr. Sangeeta Jha, who is a professor at St. Cloud Technical and Community College, and Emmanuel Apong, Community Engagement Director for the City of St. Cloud. I'm confident you'll enjoy their stories and insights. Before I introduce them more formally, I'd like to first step back and give you a short background for how 1000 Conversations came to be and how we at CentraCare hope that the conversations serve our community. Uh, as many of you know, over the last couple of years, Minnesota has unfortunately been the focus, and some might even say the catalyst, uh, of national conversations around race. While many of these conversations have centered on relations between people of color and law enforcement, they've also given us a chance to expand the conversation to more broadly look at diversity, equity, and inclusion across all sectors of society. While DEI has been a topic of discussion for years and years in many organizations, more recently, the discussions have taken on more urgency and importance, including at Centricare. After seeing the pain in our community caused by recent incidents, Centricare asked the question, as a healing organization, one that's committed to listening and serving our community, how can we help our people and our communities heal from the injury caused by racism and the lack of diversity, equity, and inclusion? How can we help that? And answering those questions at Centricare led us to 1000 Conversations, which are designed to engage people who live in, work, or go to school in central Minnesota in conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, race and racism. Our sincere hope is that each conversation will provide an opportunity for podcast listeners and participants to deepen their understanding of the actual lived experiences and perspectives of people of color who are living or working in central Minnesota. It's easy for DEI concepts to feel theoretical and our aim is to make them real. We hope that the 1000 Conversation series helps you make personal commitments to change your own individual world and to spark honest conversations about DEI in your own life, whether that's at home, school, work, churches, anywhere you gather with people who you care about. 1000 Conversations will provide an opportunity to capture 
and share your perspectives and the outcome of your own conversations with the broader community through virtual community conversations. And we'll provide more on that later. And finally, 1000 Conversations will also provide a platform to take a challenging topic and shine a light on the many ways people in central Minnesota are already partnering for positive change. So with that as a background, let's turn our attention to why we're really here today, which is to hear from our two special guests. I'll start with Dr. Sangeeta Jha and share with the listeners that in the spirit of keeping things converse, conversational and relaxed and informal, Dr. Jha has graciously offered to have me call her Sangeeta, which I'll do moving forward. So Sangeeta, thank you for that. And Sangeeta is originally from India. She has been a professor at St. Cloud Technical and Community College since 2011. Prior to that, Sangeeta taught sociology and anthropology at St. Cloud State University for 10 years. Sangeeta has been a leader in a long list of community organizations and initiatives. Recently, she has been recognized for co-championing the establishment of the Multicultural Center at St. Cloud Technical and Community College. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Sangeeta Jha. Our second guest, Emmanuel Apong, has an equally inspiring background. He currently serves as Community Engagement Director in the office of the Mayor of St. Cloud, Dave Kleiss, who appointed him in 2016. He's an adjunct professor at St. Cloud State University, Department of Community Psychology, Counseling and Family Therapy. He has held many leadership roles at the local, state, national, and even global level and presented widely on trauma-informed and culturally sensitive care and multiculturalism. Thank you both very much for being here. So this is where I'd like to start, but I think our listeners would enjoy hearing in your words, your own words, about your personal journeys to central Minnesota. So Sangeeta, I'll start with you. Would you would you mind just telling us about how a girl from India came to central Minnesota? <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. I, I am having a hard time <laughs> internalizing everything you said right now, but thank you very much. Um, I came to United States of America in 1986 uh, as a graduate student at Iowa State University. Um, later, Work brought me to St. Cloud in January of 2001. Um, and as you said, I started working at SCSU, later joined SCTCC. I didn't think I would last this long in in uh, central Minnesota because of the winter. <laughs> but nonetheless, here I am. And uh, since I chose to stay here, um, I intentionally created my kinship network, uh, my own, you know, community. Um, and uh, the result is that I don't want to move anywhere. Uh, my, I love where I am today, uh, and this is my home. What is it about it that you love so much? What has really drawn you to it? I think... Uh, I always struggled as a as a young uh, woman in India, uh, which is a patri predominantly patriarchal society where I grew up. Uh, I always struggled uh, with uh, this notion of where where is Sangeeta's home, because uh, 
India, my home, my parents' home was uh, my parents' home. And uh, so St. Cloud, uh, due to certain circumstances, um, ended up being my home. And it was uh, not intentional initially. It uh, happened very automatically. And uh, the realization dawned on me when I was in India, sitting in my parents' living room, uh, that I told my daughters that St. Cloud is my home. And uh, so um, as a woman, my question of where is Sangeeta's home was answered. And uh, since then, I have felt my ethical responsibility to make things better uh, in the place where I call my, my home. It's, it's interesting to hear you talk about home and to ask the question, where is home, you know, as a, a, a geographic place? Um, and I'm, I'm curious, if you think about home even more holistically, what, what does home mean to you beyond a, a, a place where you live? What, what does home mean in a, in a bigger sense? When I, when I uh, called St. Cloud my home, it was through holistic perspective, not just uh, the geographical area. I mean, uh, I grew up in India where it never, winter was never this harsh. And uh, so if it was just the physical environment, I would be long gone. But it is, uh, uh, through holistic perspective, a place uh, where I feel that I am connected with the folks uh, who live in St. Saint Cloud. I have created my own kinship network. Today, I do not say that if anything happens, I'll call 911 first. I know that I have... Um, friends in the community who will answer to my call even if I ring after midnight. So the sense of belongingness, um, sense of security, uh, safety, all comes when I say the word home. That's a beautiful description. Thank you. Thank you. Emmanuel, how about yourself? You know, what has been your journey here? My journey is similar to that of um, Sanke, Dr. Sankita. Um, I'm originally from Ghana, West Africa. Um, it's a population size of about 30 million. Um, it's a multilingual, multicultural um, country. And it's a country where, you know, uh, cultural norm was more um, collectivistic. Um, so I moved to Minnesota uh, primarily St. Cloud, um, because of school. Um, St. Cloud State University had an accredited program in community counseling psychology. Um, that sparked my interest. My sister graduated from St. Cloud State University and highly recommended, um, the university due to its diversity and rich international, um, student presence. 
Great, great. And similar to the question that I asked Sangeeta, the sense of, of community and uh, kinship, I think she used the word. Uh, is that a feeling that, that you share here being in, in St. Cloud? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when I moved to the St. Cloud, you know, the goal was to um, get in, get my graduate degree and then uh, move. Um, but that sense of, you know, community belonging um, was what kept me here. Um, I remember, you know, at St. Classic University, um, I had a huge support um, from advisors, from professors that I consider family, even until today. And, and they supported me throughout my academic um, journey. And once I graduated, you know, I was fortunate enough to get a job even before I graduated because of the network and, 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 and the family and, and friends that I've been able to establish here. So, um, I would echo what Dr. Sangita mentioned. Um, that sense of, um, belonging kept me here. Uh, when I moved here, I only knew my sister. Um, but today, um, there are folks that I'll say they are friends and, and, and not just friends. It goes beyond that. I consider family. Um, should, should I have an emergency? Of course, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pick up the phone right away and call my mom who lives back, you know, back in Ghana. I would call folks that I consider family here, um, in St. Cloud. And I do have that list and those are folks that I trust. Um, that I, I consider family. Um, so um, to answer your question, yes. Thank you for that. Um, you know, it's clear by looking at each of your backgrounds and hearing your personal stories that, that you're deeply committed to being a, a voice of change um, in the communities. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, and let's start with, with uh, you, Emmanuel, on this one. Why is this work so important to you? You know, before 1920, right, um, women were not allowed to vote. Uh, for example, uh, married women couldn't own property and had no legal claim to any money that they might earn. And, and no female had the right to vote. Women were expected to focus on housework, uh, motherhood, and not politics. And, and, and these were established laws that were created and upheld um, by the government. Um, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution um, granted American women the right to vote, um, a right known as women's suffrage, uh, which was ratified on August 18th, um, 1920, ending almost a century of protest. So there were folks that got together um, during that time and, and realize that or recognize that these are laws that we think are good and, and, and should be implemented. Um, however, uh, with time, um, we observed that it wasn't good enough because it eliminated, um, a certain gender. Um, black men and women also faced, um, intimidation and often violent opposite, opposition at the polls. Uh, when attempting to vote, um, and it took more than 40 years for all women um, to achieve voting equality. The Voting Rights Act 
1965 was signed by uh, President Johnson, which, which was aimed to overcome legal barriers. Um, and it, 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 it was, it, 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 it helped and made everyone able to, um, vote those that were eligible at that time. We live, we live in a society, Anthony, that is dynamic in nature. Um, it is imperative to reevaluate laws, systems, bills, and politics that undermines the integrity of humanity and that is systemically racist. Uh, one example that I would also like to add is that, you know, apartheid was introduced in 1948 in, in South Africa uh, by the National Party, which was an all-white government. And those were folks that thought, you know, they, these are laws that are legally binding and they were right. But guess what? There was a harsh system that gave little opportunities to non-white people and, and took away their basic rights, such as education, freedom of movement, and, and right to determination. So it is key to recognize and, and rectify historical injustices. And that takes education and it takes, you know, investment, massive investment. Uh, one group should not be negated or undermined when it comes to policy creation and, and implementation. Um, representation matters at a decision-making table. That's great. I appreciate that that uh, response. And Dr. Sangeeta, how about yourself? You know, why why is your your work so important to you? I echo whatever Emmanuel uh, has shared right now. And I would just like to add, uh, you know, from uh, just add whatever Emmanuel has said. Uh, and I think I'll begin uh, my response by quoting Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Hmm. Um, So for me, um, you know, I genuinely believe that our individual and collective responsibility is to advocate for social justice, equity and inclusion. Um, building relationships, appreciating our differences, as well as interconnectedness, um, is the key. Um, Talking about and sharing um, stories uh, and uh, facts about uh, historical injustices, pains, victimizations, uh, and also resistance to victimization um is uh, essential if we want to bridge the gap we have to hear each other's stories and silence uh, does not help uh if our goal is to be inclusive and and challenge and change the status quo um it wasn't easy uh, of course it still is not Um, As it is when I came to United States of America, uh, the culture was very different. I had read about it in books, but lived in experiences, a completely different uh, story, right? Um, So I 
learn to find comfort in that uh, discomfort. So um, immersing myself in diversity, equity, and inclusion, social justice efforts, um, and joining the voices that were already existing in St. Cloud community uh, was um, uh, not an easy task. I had to be even more vulnerable <laughs> uh, when I joined uh, other advocates in this work uh, because I did not want to be part of the problem. I wanted to be part of the solution. And I also, uh, you know, loved uh, one of uh, Gandhi's quotes that uh, to achieve the world we want, uh, we must get involved and become the change that we desire to see in the world. And I'm uh, kind of rephrasing what he had said, but we have to get involved, we have to have conversations. Without it, our community will not change for better. And that, that's why this work is so important to me. I think that the, the themes you just touched on of silence and the impact of silence um, and becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable or something similar. Those weren't your exact words, but that concept. I'm wondering, as you think about those two, how you would assess the progress of people in central Minnesota in that realm. Are you finding that people are being more willing to speak up, more willing to engage, or, or less so over time? I came here in 2001, and uh things were very different. I was new, I was still learning uh, to manage uh, the sub-zero temperatures. I was cold, but not never this cold. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, didn't know much about the community's work, but as time passed by, I have witnessed a surge in uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. I would say it has surged even more um, after uh, the murder of uh, Mr. George Floyd during the pandemic. I, I was approached by many institutions and organizations to have a conversation about how to make uh, things better. And I felt like this work was ignited and uh, reignited is the word I was looking for. Uh, and and many institutions and organizations uh, wanted to evaluate, assess, and strengthen their commitment to social justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. I saw an urgency uh, to have, you know, difficult, courageous conversations about deinstitutionalizing racism uh, by creating sustainable inclusive programs and policies, and also a desire to have uh, a desire to cultivate genuine relationships. Uh, so in other words, I did notice people wanting not just to have the talk, but to walk the talk. All of a sudden, I saw that we started having conversations 
about is it uh, enough to be non-racist? So, and we started understanding that we should strive to be anti-racist. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a trend of ensuring accountability. I saw an increase in resources and funding. A lot of uh, changes over the years. I mean, the conversation shifted from the deficit model perspective to asset model perspective. So I I have witnessed a lot of change um, over the years. You know, initially I used to feel I was a token for different uh, councils and committees, but gradually it shifted to inclusive excellence. And so these are some of the things I have personally felt um, I don't know what others think, but this is what my story in regards to your question. Yes, I appreciate, I appreciate that. And I would, I would echo completely that I think since the murder of George Floyd, there's been across all sectors and all areas in the country um, an increased openness to the conversation. And um, Emmanuel, I'm curious if you have a perspective on the uncomfortable aspect that Dr. Sangeeta talked about. And so, um, and when I say that, what I mean is, I think that often people want to engage in the conversation, but because they know it will be uncomfortable, they hesitate, right? And and so I'm wondering if you have found um, any ways to encourage people to muster the courage to step into that uncomfortable space. Um, even acknowledging that it will be uncomfortable. Have you found any approaches to help people feel more comfortable doing that? So the the first step to alleviating that uncomfortableness is by having conversations, right? Mm -hmm. And I strongly believe that is what we're doing right now. Um, Folks like to be in their own bubble, you know, be in a safe space where they wouldn't have any level of, you know, a sense of, should I say, insecurity. And it takes a second to engage with one another. And how do you do that? By creating that safe space. Um, and I know there are local leaders um, that have done a great work, you know, in, in that landline. You know, you have um, folks like Pastor Albert, who came up with an app where people could get on to engage with folks, right? And, you know, one thing that I've, I've seen is that sometimes you, you create a space where you have conversations pretty much about anything else. From a city's perspective, I know the mayor does this dinner with neighbors, and we try as much as possible to have folks that are from different backgrounds and we engage in conversations. We pretty much, you know, say there's no question that is that is considered, you know, stupid. There's no question that is considered inappropriate. Um, so you have to establish that, you know, safe space. Um, you have to come up with some kind of implicit, explicit norms so people are encouraged to engage, are encouraged to interact, and are encouraged to ask questions that are thought-provoking 
and yet generate that sense of curiosity. And, and that is one thing that I've seen. Within businesses, I remember, you know, following um, George Floyd's tragic death, uh, getting a lot of calls from, from businesses, local counties, individuals, community leaders, asking what do we need to do? Um, do we need to put out a statement? Do we need to make a commitment? And there were a lot of conversations that happened around that. There were tax force group that was created, um, there were working groups that were created, and community groups, you know, and meetings. That was an ongoing conversation. And, and that platform alone was an avenue for folks to um, engage and connect with, with one another. Um, so those are some of the things that I observed. People were having more discussions on the subject and a lot more were listening and asking questions. And you could see this genuine curiosity from folks. Um, say, hey, I'm ignorant uh, when it comes to these issues. How can I learn? How can I be a better person? And businesses and organizations were gradually, you know, reevaluating their culture. You know, they were reexamining their policies, their procedures, um, hiring practices. How can we make it better? And, you know, I quite remember Minnesota Health Commissioner John Malcolm on, on June 1st, 2020 said, you know, racism is a public health challenge. And she said that, you know, with, when she was on a call with, with reporters, the health department, you know, released a, a report that named structural racism and the inequitable maldistribution of opportunity as, as root causes of persistent and glaring health, um, disparities in Minnesota. So that acknowledgement alone was progress in itself. You know, there was demand for anti-racism work. Um, of course, more funding opportunities, you know, for BIPOC communities and organization. And I observed that from federal, state to, to local agencies. Um, intentional effort by local leaders, more candid conversations, there was a huge demand for um, DEI work, anti-racism training, intercultural development, inventory um, training. I quite remember the governor's office created a, the governor's community council on inclusion and equity. And I do serve on that. You know, its primary focus was to advise and collaborate with the one Minnesota council in achieving um, it goes to design, create, and implement effective, inclusive, and equitable practices for the state to address disparities and inequities in our communities. I would like to uh, add a change that, a shift that I witnessed uh, was also people, the dominant group did not just reach out to uh, the BIPOC community leaders and members, they also started thinking about introspection and uh, having book uh, conversations on uh, Ibram uh, X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, or 
uh, Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility. You know, these were quite uh, popular books, um, still are. And, uh, you know, I I think what Robin D'Angelo had said uh, made sense to people that it is white people's responsibility to be less fragile. People of color don't need to twist themselves into knots trying to navigate navigate us as painlessly as possible. And, and so these conversations did not happen before. Mm-hmm. I... I always felt like uh, BIPOC community members and leaders had to, you know, give them a formula <laughs> of how to uh, how to uh, fix these BIPOC <laughs> problems. So all of a sudden, I saw that people started talking about in terms of our problem rather than BIPOC problem. And it was um, that was quite an interesting shift, which uh, I felt in my experiences. I think that's great insight, and and it's interesting what reframing of a of a situation will do in terms of opening up thinking and uh, opening up receptivity to different options. So, uh, so I, I appreciate you surfacing that. You know, as we think locally, there are lots of efforts. There are many efforts um, committed to fighting racism and advancing racial equity and inclusion. Uh, yet sometimes I hear people say that they want want to do something, but they don't know where to begin. They don't know where to start or how to engage. And so I'm wondering what you all think of, of what others can do to begin to engage in these conversations with others in in our central Minnesota communities, what what would you recommend to them? What what I'll say to those folks is, you know, you, you start by 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 getting involved. Um, you start by volunteering. Um, you start by making your voice heard, and and there are many many different organizations. Um, that are doing great work in St. Cloud that needs volunteers. Um, they need folks to help them with initiatives on, on anti-racism work. And, and, and that is a good start. If you don't want to do that, you know, you can begin to have conversations with, with your neighbor. You, you know, your neighbor across the street. Um, if you live in an ap- apartment, it could be your neighbor next door. And, and that is how you start, you know, having conversations with your coworkers. And, and that is how you begin. You know, you begin by having your voice heard. Um, and, you know, more often than not, if, you know, we say if you're not part of the table, um, you are on the menu and you don't want to be on the menu. You want to be part of, of, of that table. So it's, it's, it's imperative to, to get involved. There are so many different organizations in, in central Minnesota uh, that are doing great work. Um, and if folks want to get involved or figure out how to do it, um, they can always, you know, reach out to me at the mayor's office and I'll get them to be to be involved in those organizations. Within the city of St. Cloud, we do have a lot, you know, of board and, and commissions 
um, that are opening up. And you could go on there, identify what you are passionate about, what your interest is, and you could apply to serve on one of our boards and commissions because we need your voice. We, we need you to be part of this thriving community. And without your voice, we wouldn't know what your concerns are. So that is what, you know, I have to say in regards to that. I appreciate that. Is there, is there anything you would add, Dr. Sangita? I would just uh, reiterate uh, the importance of uh, getting out of uh, one's comfort zone um, and embrace the chronic <laughs> discomfort, uh, <laughs> so-called chronic discomfort, because unless and until we get out of our frame, how are we going to see the whole picture? Uh, I truly believe that, uh, you know, if we are to make any progress, we have to effectively engage with community members. We have to connect with our community members and learn who they are, their authentic self. And I uh, will share something that uh, I've been part of uh, is that in 2017, we had an uh, event called Conversation on Race, which is the brand or the star event of Create Community. And uh, I had to lead a conversation on race and gender with eight people in my group. The overarching theme was relationship building. In 45 minutes, I was told time is up. Um, and I quickly asked all these eight people that, uh, would you like to meet again? Because we can't build relationship in 45 minutes. And everyone said, yes, we have been meeting since 2017, once a month. Uh, nowadays, of course, we meet virtually. And you won't believe our group, the email list has gone from eight to 40 plus people. Not everybody shows up at the same time, which is good in a way because <laughs> we won't be able to have really have a, an authentic conversation if uh, all of us showed up at the same time. And we do not meet with an agenda. It's a free-flowing conversation. I, I think it's just like I used to have conversation with my friends in my parents' lawn sipping chai and uh, that's what I wanted to feel. So creating these one's communities, having conversations and uh, embracing discomfort and vulnerability, also being vulnerable because mm -hmm. I have shared my authentic personal stories with so many community members over the years. Initially, I was afraid that it could be misused. But believe me, people do respect when we share authentic stories, when we are willing to be vulnerable with one another and connect with one another. So that is what I would like to add. We are so afraid of the unknown people who do not look like us, so how about uh, getting to know 
one another, getting to know who Sangeeta is. I'm so glad you you added that. Anthony, I would I would like to also, you know, give, you know, share a little story as to why it's, you know, critical and 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 important to 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 get engaged, especially you know, uh, get engaged in in these critical discussions and to get engaged, you know, and and volunteer in the community. So there there's a, there was a there's a village in. In, in Kenya, and there was a group of Western missionaries that traveled, you know, to, to go do some philanthropical work. And when they got there, they did their own research without the consultation of community members and identify a problem that they thought was a primary problem for that village. And they realized that there was trash, you know, everywhere and they thought, okay, you know what, what we thought, we think this community needs is a dumpster. Um, if we could get a dumpster, they could put all their trash together and, and put that in the dumpster. So the money they raised, you know, they bought a big dumpster and, and put it out there for the community to, to use. They realized that community members were furious. They were mad. They were upset. And they didn't know why they were upset. So they said, hey, you know, we came in, you guys have trash everywhere. We brought in um, a dumpster to help you deal with this trash. So why are you guys mad? And they said, we do need dumpsters. We need water. Water is what we need. We walk several miles to go get water. You guys come here and you're telling us you spend this amount of money to get this dumpster. We're not going to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, so what they did was they had a community conversation, which was collaborative, collective, and they were able to, you know, identify the primary problem, which was water. And guess what? They had to go back, raise money to make sure that they provided some source of water uh, for that village. So if you're not part of the table, your needs, your concerns, and your issues it's just going to be negated. Mm-hmm. And that is why it's important for everyone to, to get engaged. There's an African proverb, you know, that states that until the lion learns to write, every story will glorify the hunter. Mm-hmm. And it's about time we all became um, hunters and, and, and tell our story. So it's, it's, it's imperative for us to stay engaged. I appreciate you sharing that. And it, it's interesting to first listen to Dr. Sangeeta's story about um, making yourself vulnerable to other people, you know, through conversation uh, and, and the, the benefits that, that she and her group have seen. And then in your story, seeing how conversation has served in another way, when in a very practical way, when it comes to actually getting water into a community, um, it shows the power of genuine open conversation in in multiple ways, just in those two stories. So I, I appreciate both of you sharing those. Each of you has now lived and worked in St. Cloud for a number of years. And I'm curious what some of the most notable changes are that you've seen since you began living in St. Cloud as it relates to DEI. Emmanuel, would you like to go first? Yes. So before I get into St. Cloud, I just want to provide 
um, some historical context to the question. Um, so in, in the 1790s, you know, uh, Pierre Bongo was a free black fair trader, um, who came to the territory and, and married an Ojibwe woman. And, and their son, George, uh, Bongo, born in 1802, was Minnesota's first recorded African American, um, birth. During that period, there was not a lot of black people living in Minnesota. And according to Minnesota State Demographic Center, between 2010 and 2018, the fastest growing racial group in Minnesota was the black or African American population, which grew by 36%, adding more than 96,500 people. The second fastest was the Asian population, which grew by 32%. A lot has changed. Um, since 1802. Between 1990 and 2018, the state's immigrant population grew by over 300%. 29 years ago, the non-white population in St. Cloud was just 2%, and now it is 30%. Uh, Mayor Dave Clash shared when he took office, the city of St. Cloud's boards and commissions was mostly old, white, retired, uh, males. There were no females. Clearly, they did not represent residents in St. Cloud. Um, it was the mayor's vision to change that narrative. And that was the reasons why I was hired. Um, just like any, any other community, St. Cloud is not immune to challenges. I want to be very honest about that. However, we have made some great progress on race racism, diversity, and inclusion effort. We still have a long way to go. You know, there's an account proverb um, that states that when you remove one broomstick, it breaks. But when you put them together, they do not break. And the reason why I say that is because it is important to not work in silos on issues regarding race, racism, diversity and inclusion effort, but, you know, we make great impact and progress through intentional um, collaboration and partnership. There are many businesses, organizations, schools that have worked hard in making sure that we have an inclusive community. And I'm not going to list all names, but I just wanted to um, stress that, you know, the work that St. Cloud has been doing would not be possible without all these initiatives that is going on within the community. Well, well said, Emmanuel. I'll just add to whatever Emmanuel has said, is that one of the notable changes that happened after I moved to St. Cloud is initiation of Create Community in 2003 to dismantle racism through systemic change. And this uh, initiative was led by all the local leaders, and uh, it has been a catalyst of change in St. Cloud community. Through Create Community, we have tried to shake the world in a gentle way, as Gandhi used to say, 
many organizations have established an office or a committee council to champion uh, you know racial equity and inclusion uh, they are very intentional about diversifying their recruitment and hiring practices and i can speak for uh, saint cloud technical and community college it is diversifying and uh, uh, the focus is diversity not just diversity but also inclusive excellence i also would like to acknowledge some of the things that have made my life easier and that would be opening up of all these ethnic restaurants like star of india kohinoor vietian delhi somali cafe and caramel mogadishu and the list goes on and on also grocery stores having uh, like coburns cashwise having you know ethnic aisles so many of the items that were available only in the cities today are available in saint cloud so all this together has made my life and i'm sure other people's lives a you know slightly better and uh, the work continues like emmanuel said you know this is just the beginning we have not come to a full circle and perhaps we won't i mean certainly not in my lifetime but uh, what makes me feel satisfied and gives me solace that we are not sitting idly we are working towards making saint cloud a better community you know people often think that what can one person do i don't have the power to make any changes i would like to tell them go and read to what his holiness dalai lama has written if you think you are too small to make a difference try sleeping with a mosquito so <laughs> i think <laughs> uh, oh his holiness dalai lama has a great sense of humor so you know we we all have the power and ability to make a difference i think where i'd like to 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 go as we as we start to to wind down here is to think about the possibilities the positive hopes that you all have and the dreams that you two have for our central minnesota and surrounding area communities uh surrounding racial equity inclusion and belonging what are your hopes and dreams for us as 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 communities how about i will choose how about emmanuel let's start with you you know my mine is just short short and simple regarding hopes and dreams no matter what your gender religion sexual orientation socioeconomic status ethnic background race class and educational level you should feel safe um you should feel welcomed and and have an opportunity to live your dreams under no duress fear or panic beautifully said beautifully said dr sangeeta what do you hope for for us for us uh, <laughs> i i would start with what do i hope for myself and uh, and then which would uh, when i say myself it includes my community as well mm-hmm. i think uh, i'm going to literally i i mean this brought me uh, dr king's quote 
to my mind. I'm just going to read his words. I mean, I share his words with you. I look to a day when people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I think uh, in order to reach this goal or this dream, we will have to build connections, communities, and dismantle systemic racism and uh, create a an equitable and inclusive environment for where we are all accepted and respected as we are. I think uh, we have to try and end whatever intolerance exists in our community, injustices that exists in our community, and uh, try to live wholeheartedly in in this world. Um, I think I would like to end my uh, response by sharing what, I love this quotation from Maya Angelou. My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. I just love this quote from her. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote as well. And I love Maya Angelou as well. And thank you so much for, uh, for ending on that. You know, as I think about the, the last two responses that you both gave and the, the picture that you both painted of what can be um, is, a, is a beautiful way to, to conclude this, this podcast. Um, 1,000 conversations, uh, as I mentioned at the top, this is our, our first one of what will be several. Uh, throughout 2022, we will be hosting more conversations with other uh, inspiring guests. So I invite all, all of those uh, who are listening to the podcast to keep your eyes open for future conversations. In the meantime, uh, I'd ask you to think about what you've heard today. And if you found the information thought-provoking, if you're curious about learning more, if you're motivated to take another step, even if it's your first step to creating a more inclusive central Minnesota, then I'd encourage you to start your own conversation in your own community. Um, the conversation could be large or small. It could even be with one other person, but start. Um, I'd like to extend just the warmest and most sincere thanks to Dr. Sangeeta and to Emmanuel for being our guest today. And thank you also for the work that you do every day, not just today, um, on behalf of our communities to help all of us feel welcomed and to make all of us feel that we belong and to make all of us feel like this is our home which is where we started this podcast. So thank you both for, for what you do. Uh, we appreciate you both. Thank you for joining us for this edition of 1000 Conversations. If you're inspired and motivated to learn more or to take another step toward creating a more inclusive central Minnesota, we encourage you to do so. Start your own conversations in your own community 
And be sure to visit our podcast site, 1kconvos.org. That's the number one, the letter K, convos.org. That way you can subscribe to the show and never miss out on an episode. Our thanks to the Center for Economic Inclusion for their partnership in helping make this podcast possible. And of course, most of all, thanks to you for listening.